Good morning. Welcome to Oikos. We are in the Sunday after Easter. Christ is risen. So we're actually going to return to that Sunday evening, just briefly right now, of the day that Christ rose from the dead. And the disciples are all behind a closed door, and something has happened. They believe that the presence of God has departed. They believe that the one that they had followed and worshipped, loved, Jesus, is dead. He's gone. They were scared. To get into this, we're going to go to Psalm 42. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Psalm 42 is where something has happened. Now, Psalm 42 is written in an arrangement that's called like a psalter. That means that there would be an individual that would pray, and then the community would respond with a prayer. And so as you read through Psalm 42, that is the way it's arranged, that someone would pray, and then the community would respond with a prayer. Prayer was an important part of the people of God long before the disciples arrived. Prayer was a part of who you are as God's people. So people would engage in prayer, and that's why the Psalms were written as songs and as prayers, as an expression of trying to understand who God is. Now this psalm, this particular psalm, probably was written because the guy who wrote it was in exile. And so we know something important about the people, God's people, that they believed they would encounter the presence of God if they were able to enter worship at the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem, but they were exiled out. And so they, this psalmist may have said, we can't come to the presence of God. We can't be near him. We can't experience him. It's as if he is gone. And so he writes about his feeling or his current circumstance. That here he is knowing that he is an eternal son of God, and yet right now he's living in a very eternal, yet non-eternal existence. There's a conflict. He sees his body, he sees how it's wasting away, and yet he knows there's something eternal waiting for him. And there's a conflict. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually haunt me, taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? You can almost imagine the disciples experiencing something similar. Stuck in the room, hearing their enemies say that Jesus is gone. That he's not coming back. Maybe even saying it to each other. Where is he? 
Why did he leave us? And we go into why the presence of God is so important. Many of us came this morning because we want to experience the presence of God. We want to experience the presence of God because in the presence of God, there is life. There's a yearning to encounter him. And then when you encounter that presence, to worship him. Because you know that you come from him, that your existence is here because he made you, that he sustains you, and that he'll restore you. But something has happened for the psalmist to make it almost plausible to start to believe or to start to have doubts that God is not here. Like I said, it might be being in exile, that this psalmist experienced a great defeat. He was one of the families that was pulled away from Jerusalem and pulled away to Babylon. Or perhaps there was a great famine in the land at the time, and they weren't experiencing provision. He was hungry, or maybe even thirsty, or a great sickness. And his health was diminishing. And he felt as if God was far away. Or even more likely, that idol worship had pervaded the whole land so much so that there were so many distractions that even though there was a desire to come near to God, there were several things that came before him. For you or I, it may be our spouse becoming sick. Someone you dearly love, and you see that they are beginning to falter. And you look at them, and you want them to return back to the person that they were. But they're not there yet. And the things that you do see are the bills that are coming in for the treatment that they're receiving. And you don't know how you're going to pay them. And yet you know that your spouse still needs to go. So you're just going to get more. And God doesn't seem like he's providing. God doesn't seem to be there. Something has brought about that feeling that God is gone. And what you can actually see in a person when this happens is that the joy that's in their face begins to fade. You see that their color has diminished and the way they live life is different because life seems to be gone. It may be one of those things that Satan tries to move in us in the greatest way, is to move away from just a doubt into a reality that God really is gone. Because if he can get you to believe that, then he can begin the the shame game where you begin to think that you caused God to walk away from you. It's something that you did. 
You caused this. You did something that made God turn his back on you. Now for the psalmist, he actually experienced this. We see this in the Old Testament. That many times the Lord said that he's turning his back on his people at this point so that they might return. For the psalmist, this is a real sense that they've experienced this before, where God turned his back on them. And they shouted out, God, please hear us. Please hear our cry. Please, why are you so far? Could you please come near? He wanted them to remember that he was God. And that in him, there was life if they would just come close again. Verse 4 says, My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. When I read this verse, I thought of how we often go to the good old days. Or you'll talk to someone who's a little bit older and they'll tell you how awesome the good old days were. How they're so different from now. And that this generation is going to cause a great destruction. We think back and we remember the past and then we ask God, why can't we have that again? Why can't I have that time when my family was all together and everyone loved one another, which is not quite true. But we remember it that way. And we want that past again. It's like all of a sudden we remember that at that point God was there, but now he seems so absent and it begins to break our heart. So it's like a sickness that overcomes the body. You're a star athlete, or maybe you're not even a star athlete. Maybe you just you can go out and run marathons and you love doing it, and then all of a sudden you go to the doctor and the doctor says, your knees are fading, you will never do that again. Can't do it. And you wish you could have that health back. And so you pray and you pray and you pray. And healing doesn't come. In fact, it starts to get worse. You try different drugs. You have different people pray. You do everything under the sun. And yet God still seems to be absent. Or it might be like the kid in high school who enters the first week of high school and realizes they don't have a lot of friends. And they look back to their elementary days and they were the life of the party and they loved it. And now all of a sudden, no one knows their name. No one cares about them. And they would do anything to have that connection once again. They'd do anything to have school be fun once again. But now it's all different. They've conformed, they've compromised, they've done everything they could to get someone to like them. They've prayed, 
Lord, just send me a friend. And yet none come. And God seems absent. I believe in each of these circumstances, Satan begins to slip in to persuade us that he really is absent. That you really have a reason to be upset with God. That it is true that God will turn his back on you the moment you do something wrong. That it is true that God doesn't really care about you. That you're just one more pawn in his great world that he created. That he's not for you, that he is actually against you. The psalmist is in the midst of this whispering of Satan as well. God is gone. And he says in verse 5, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And then he begins to wrestle as he says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again. My Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you, even from the distant Mount Hermon, the source of Jordan, the land of Mount Mizar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours His unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing His songs, praying to God who gives me life. He's waiting for this life that God can only give. He wants to be in that presence again. But the reality is, He's still in exile. See, the reality for the psalmist is that he desires all of this, but he can't return to Jerusalem. He may have prayed all his life. Maybe he wrote this psalm when he was 42, or about to be 42 like me. And he grew up in exile. And he's been praying year after year after year. And God seems absent. So this is how he responds in verse 9. Oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this, where is this God of yours? As I said before, there were times in the Old Testament where this was very true. But when Jesus came, he turned that upside down. In fact, in one of our devotions this last week, one of our people stated very clearly that though it was true before, the moment that Jesus took the cross and took the punishment, God no longer turns his back on us. Daniela artfully said it during the songs and the prayers that he continues to be with us because of his grace. He will not leave us because of something we do. He doesn't remember our sins no matter how much Satan tells you that he does. 
Jesus experienced a life in a broken and corrupt world. If you paid attention to the video that we, we play it every month, so we're not losing our mind. We are actually intentionally doing this once a month because I want you to start to really capture what is the story of God. The story of God is not just about a creation. The story of God is not just about a destruction. The story of God is about God trying to reclaim his people over and over and over again until eventually he sends his son so that he can turn his back upon his son so that he will no longer have to do it to us. That's what he does on Good Friday when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was the last one that would ever have to say that. Because in that moment, God forgave sin. And for every child that turns to him, he cannot remember what separated you from him. All he sees is a beautiful daughter or son of God. A son or daughter who he is welcoming home, pleading for you to come home. So Jesus took everything we did wrong and experienced God forsaking him so that we would never have to experience God forsaking us. So when he seems absent, that is not God being absent. That's our own distortion. Our own sinful distortion. Or Satan himself. Trying to persuade us that Jesus never came. That Jesus didn't do anything for you. That his death on the cross means nothing. That him raising, being raised from the dead means nothing for you. That that changed nothing. So you continue to live in the idea that you have to do something for God to recognize you. But the truth is, what Jesus did allowed God to see you. Open the door for God to say, I will stand by you no matter what. You will not go through anything alone. Matthew 28 says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Be sure of this. I am with you always. He says, be sure of this. Because the greatest doubt that Satan will put in your head is that this is not true. That whatever you're experiencing right now that has made you begin to think that God is absent, that what Jesus said is not true. But we believe in a God when he says something that is true. That when he says, I am with you always, that means 
He's with you when you're in that sickness and you're praying and you're not receiving healing. Because we believe that you will receive a healing, whether on this side or the other side of heaven. He will make you complete, whether it's on this side because he's come again and he has restored the earth and you, his child, completely, or on the other side. So when we go through something alone, when we choose to walk away from God, when we say, God, we don't need you. I'm going to do this on my own. Or maybe I don't even intentionally say that. Maybe I'm just doing it on my own. In fact, my mom told me a story this last week that this guy who's about 83 years old, they know a lot of old people now, um, a guy who's about <laughs> 83 years old, he was going through a little bit of sickness. His wife had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's. They were, he got hit with something, a some pneumonia, I mean, just classic, go down the list, kept on going. He fell, he broke his hip, and he wanted to just make sure that he could drive. And his children were like, um, I think your driving time might be done. And he's like, no, I, I think I want to keep driving. And so... He went three days laying there in awful pain because he had broken his hip. And then he decided, you know, maybe I should ask God for help. Sometimes we don't even say, God, don't help me. We just go on thinking we've got to figure it out. And in that sense, we try to walk alone rather than in the promise that Jesus is with us. I'll tell you, the guy did get his driver's license back. But he doesn't drive. But he likes the idea that if he, need to, if he needs to drive, he can. It wasn't completely what he prayed for. But it is what, he was ne what he's needing. Sometimes it is because we don't choose to accept his grace. We don't choose to accept God's grace in our life. So we hold on or we harbor a certain thing in our life that we've done. And we won't let it go. Maybe you cheated on your husband and you won't let it go. You've asked for forgiveness. You've spoken to your husband. You've asked for forgiveness and yet you won't let it go. They've let it go. God most certainly has let it go. But you won't let it go. And so you choose to walk alone. Or you choose not to repent. None of us do that, right? You're never wrong. Is often the statement that you say to yourself in your head that I don't make mistakes. Or the ones that I do weren't really my fault, they were somebody else's. I don't need to repent of that because if that person wouldn't have done that to me, I wouldn't have done that to them. Retribution is fair. Yet God says 
In fact, Jesus' first words to many of the people was, repent. Repent and believe. Repent. So repentance, when you choose not to repent, you often find yourself alone. Or we simply choose to believe that God really isn't there. Morgan Freeman right now is doing uh, discovery. And he's going around the world to look at different religions and he's decided that we, that God doesn't really exist except that we made him up in our own minds. So it's, he's not an atheist. I don't understand it. But he's not an atheist. He just simply believes that We've created God in our own minds. Every culture has done it, and it just is an existence in our minds. So when we choose to believe that God really isn't there, that the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God who sent his son Jesus, is not there, we may choose to walk alone. But you know, I'm going to tell you that even in those circumstances, I don't even believe that that's true, that you're alone. Because I believe that God is standing right next to you. He's seeing what you're doing. And no matter how horrible it may be, He's standing right there. Not in judgment, because remember, He's already forsaken Jesus. So it's forgiven. But it's an invitation. Whatever you're doing right now that's against the Father... He's standing next to you and saying, just come back. I'm with you anyways. So just come back. Don't put whatever you're doing right now in front of me. Just come back to me. Because I love you. So today, if you heard one of those things and you said, you know what, I think... That's me. Right now, right here in this room. I either have believed that God has been absent in some part of my life, or I don't believe that he actually will claim me. Or I'm not sure if I can let go of a certain sin and really receive his forgiveness that he offers. If that's you... We're going to have a few people here. I'm going to be up in the front. Mr. Ken Rogers will be right there in the middle. Mr. Jim Vanderwater will be in the back. And as elders, we're going to be praying for you. For anyone that is experiencing that right now, we want to take some time for you to encounter the Lord. Because if you encounter the presence of God at the beginning, how many of you remember the beginning of the message? Well, I do. Um, If you encounter the presence of God, the presence of God gives you life. I want you to receive life today. I don't want you to hold on to that sin that you cannot let go. I don't want you to hold on to a belief that God isn't willing to step alongside of you. I don't want you to hold on to something that is separating you from God. Because it's ridiculous. 
Because he's already named you as his daughter or his son. And we're his people. And because we're his people, we get to live in abundance, not scarcity. So we don't walk around with no joy because we've received everything. So if you don't have joy right now in your heart, I want to pray that the Lord will restore your joy so that your tears can be wiped away and replaced with joy. Your doubts can be wiped away and replaced with faith. And no matter what condition you're in, that you can walk out perhaps in the same condition or healed. But know that the Lord your God is with you. So if you are one of those people, just raise your hand. So I want you to receive prayer. So we're going to, so Daniela, this is sometimes what happens. So I don't cue everybody exactly what's going to happen. So you get to experience what Jason does sometimes. So we have a song that we're going to do normal prayer time. But if it goes a little bit longer, just keep us worshiping until we close. Don't worry. You're thinking Lytle's going to turn us into some crazy... We're going to be here for five hours praying <laughs> because he made his message like five minutes shorter. But what I want us to do is that prayer is important. And as I began the message, I reminded us that even for the psalmist, time thousands of years before Jesus, hundreds of years, they said, we need to pray. For God to hear us. So Jim and Rogers, they're heading to their stations. I'm going to be heading to mine. I'm going to pray that the Lord will give you courage to approach his throne, his people, to receive the healing that you may need today. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would encompass us with your grace. Give us courage to simply say what we need be released from. Whatever strongholds are over us that we are aware of, whatever temptation that's a shadow, shadow on our life, whatever doubt we just can't let go of. For those of us who are like Morgan Freeman and we are, we're not sure who you are, that today we would begin to see who you are. Loving Father, who sent his son to die for us so that we could have life. So I pray that this would be a day that people would turn their lives to Jesus. I pray that this would be a day that they would turn back to Jesus. I pray that this would be a day that Oikos would begin each and every day coming to your presence so we can have life. In your name we pray. Amen.